Welcome to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. I'm Michelle Family, and I'm joined in each program in the studio with my friend Emily Jaminette. This is a show to help you be inspired by our Catholic faith, live out the gospel message, and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope this show provides an uplifting 30 minutes to help refresh your soul and strengthen your faith. As it was born out of our friendship, we hope it encourages you to deepen and develop spiritual friendships with your sisters in Christ. Well, hello, Emily. Hello, hello. We are so excited again to be in the studio and continuing our conference speaker series here on Inspired by Faith as we get ready for the 2024 Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. Isn't that just unbelievable? It's right around the corner. And so as you listen to this episode, you know, this is an opportunity to say, I want more. I want to be there in person. I want to get that ticket. So I know that registration is available. So people, please sign up. Registration is open. So think about a friend you want to invite and uh, register for them. And, you know, it's a great Christmas gift or Valentine's gift. Uh, It's a great opportunity to bring a friend along and share the faith. And to be inspired. And be inspired. Well, today we are so excited that we have one of our amazing speakers with us, Father John Burns. Father John is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He's the author of the best-selling books, Adore, Return, and Lift Up Your Heart, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Francis de Sales. Ordained in 2010, Father Burns has served as an associate pastor and pastor in Milwaukee, in addition to being an adjunct professor of moral theology at the Sacred Heart Seminary and School of Theology. He completed a doctorate in moral theology at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome in 2019. His doctoral research focuses on the theology of healing through forgiveness. Father Burns speaks at conferences, preaches for missions, and directs retreats throughout the country. His primary work now is to bring about the revival of vocations for the religious life for women. He works with orders and walks with women who are discerning. Welcome, Father Burns. Hey, everybody. Great to be with you. It's so great to have you. I will share with our listeners, uh, we get a lot of great suggestions from our friends at the Women of Christ Conference in Wisconsin. And I've been told for years to get Father John Burns how amazing he is. So we are so blessed (laughs) that you're available and willing to come to us here in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super honored, and we, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're friends with our, our women here running our conference. We've just had so many good years of great fruit in the Archdiocese, so <clears throat> it's an honor when I get to go and be at a, another women's conference run by a whole other group of amazing people in another diocese, because it's just, I know it's a ton of work that most people don't see, but it's, it, when you see the fruit of it on conference day, it's just so moving to behold. So thanks in advance for all you guys are doing. Well, you're welcome. We're just so blessed to be part of this ministry, and we know that it touches so many women's lives, and we're hoping to have over 3,000 women this year. So we want all of our listeners out there, we want you there, part of this day, please. So don't forget to register at ColumbusCatholicWomen.com. So Father Burns, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your faith journey? Yeah, I, um, I'd love to. I grew up in a, a pretty regular Catholic family. I'm in one of four kids. I'm the oldest. Uh, we were like practiced our faith as kids, mom and dad practicing, went to Mass, we'd pray before meals and the rosary on the long drives in the car, but nothing like overt uh, or, you know, we weren't, I wouldn't say like over-the-top Catholic, it was just kind of a normal life. Um, my dad, when I was in high school, my dad suffered uh, an, a mistake during surgery and um, was left half paralyzed and brain damaged, and it really, uh, it did a beautiful thing that took about 15 years to mature. It drew my family really closely together after we got finished being upset with God and asking why and not understanding 
why he lets things like that happen and what kind of God is this. And yeah, it was a painful period for a long time there, but, but in the end, um, it was the thing that drew us, my family, really close together and actually deepened our faith. And so as we navigated helping dad much more than we expected and having to grapple with the question of, of why good things happen, bad things happen to good people and why we have to continue in the faith, um, I just, yeah, I found in that journey a recognition that even though I didn't always like what God did, God doesn't make mistakes. And even in allowing something painful, he, he drew something out of my family that, that otherwise wouldn't be there. So as of today, uh, I'm a priest. Obviously, my little brother is also a priest. He was ordained three years after me. And both my sisters are super faithful, married, wonderful men, both having babies to, to make up for the, uh, the two celibate brothers, giving grandchildren. But um, we're all in the church and faithful. And it's, it's in part because our lives were kind of torn apart for a while there. And we had to suffer so much that the cross... If we don't resist it, it becomes sweet eventually, and uh, praise the Lord we didn't resist it, and now here we are, all in love with God and, and just living out our vocations. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that journey with us. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your vocation story? When did that come into play? Yeah, it was you know unfolding alongside, I think, in many ways, though it goes back a touch further. I remember just actually having some profound experiences as a little kid, just praying at Eucharistic adoration. I remember in first grade in particular, it's the first memory I have of just, I don't even know how you'd call it as a first grader, just in a deep peace inside while I looked at the Lord in the monstrance. And I, I wouldn't at that time have thought it was the priesthood or the Lord calling me to the priesthood, but it stuck out enough that as I started to pray about the priesthood, the Lord kept bringing me back to moments like that. So along the way, I, as I grew up um, in the faith, but also in the world, I you know, I had my own dreams, my plans, my projects, and I had this dream of being married and having a big house and lots of kids and three vacation homes and five sports cars and all this stuff. And as I started going down that road, uh, yeah, one thing after the other just didn't amount to what I'd expected or hoped or just doors that should have been open were closing. And along the way, I just started to say, like, huh, why is, why is my plan not working out? I pushed pretty hard on my plan, actually, until eventually I was yeah, pretty frustrated. Uh, after college, I went on a backpacking trip. I went traveling for like five months through Asia, Australia, New Zealand, just trying to to find, you know, God's plan for my life and figure out what I was supposed to do and definitely resisting the priesthood. I mean, I'd gone to a Catholic university and never talked to the priests. I didn't want to be around them. I didn't want them to ask me if I had a vocation because it didn't want to do that because that wasn't a part of my plan. But anyway, on this trip, it was kind of epic in a way. I, I ran out of money in Australia. I had like hundred bucks left in my bank account. It was either fly home early or wait out my visa and my tourist visa and get a job. And so I met a guy who had just got back from the, the prawn trawlers, which is basically like giant shrimp. And he just finished the fishing season and told me how much he made. And I'm like, man, can I do that? And he taught me how to do it. I got a job on a, on a prawn trawler, a large shrimp boat in Australia. I spent like a month at sea. And while I'm out there, it's pretty, pretty intense. It's like it's over Easter, and I'm sitting on the deck mending my nets, literally mending the nets for the, the boat. And, uh, yeah, the Lord just kind of hit me, hit me between the eyes. It's like, how obvious do you want me to get here? Like, your life is unfulfilled. You're pushing back against me. You're on the other side of the world. You've got all the same questions you had back home. None of them are addressed. Your way is not working. When will you listen and receive my way? And I just looked down at the nets, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, you asked me to be a fisherman. And like, and as I kind of turned to that, I realized that that question had been there for my whole life, and I'd just been resisting it. So folded everything up, 
came home, met with the bishop, and he, without even my saying all this, he just said, I think you're running away from the priesthood. That's what your story sounds like. And I just started to cry. I'm like, bullseye shot. Just give me the application. I'll get into seminary. So I fought hard. I have gray hair, and the hair is gray from fighting against God. I turned gray like in seminary. It was, it was a battle. And uh, it's amazing because in looking back, um, I'm so glad that God won. And that he just kept pursuing me without being forceful because he wanted me to to still choose it, not feel forced and pressured. But like, now that I'm a priest, I mean, I would never trade this for what I thought my life could be, you know, like by my old dreams and my old designs. Like I'm way happier here than I ever imagined I'd be when I set my own plan. And it's just very humbling, actually, to know that ultimately I never really knew what I wanted. I needed to give God room to tell me what I wanted. And that once I did, uh, everything just opened up and became, became easy and free. So here I am. Wow. Thank you so much, Father, for sharing that story. It brought a tear to my eyes and it made me think about how many times I think I know what God's plan is, right? I mean, we don't know, but doing God's will um, is where our true happiness lays. Um, I would love for you to share a little bit about the priority of just reviving vocations, the importance of even religious life, um, you know, the work that you do there, because I think this is a, a hidden gem in the church and something we don't necessarily talk about or even know what to do about um, increasing vocations and vocation awareness. Yeah, thanks for, for asking that question. This one sits at the center for me, and it's <clears throat> my real focus is actually on um, women's vocations to, to religious life, and it's because I grew up in a church where I was never around sisters. Uh, most of the sisters in my parish community had retired or withdrawn from the school and the parish. So just, I didn't know women's religious life growing up. And <clears throat> it was once I went into seminary, I studied over in Rome, first in Washington and then in Rome, and in both places, all of a sudden I was around a lot of consecrated women who were living their vocations. And I remember just like, yeah, being like really deeply pierced at how beautiful it was and, and thinking to myself, and she, the way she loves Jesus is telling me something about Jesus that I've never learned from anybody else. And the way I see her living out her life is, it was so captivating. And, and I just remember getting really sad on a few occasions about like, why, why did I grow up without that? When, when that is, is so helpful to me, to the volunteers at the soup kitchen where I was helping out, to the to the homeless that they're ministering to. And I got kind of upset even at the, like thinking about how important she, these sisters are to the church and that I didn't experience that growing up. I was like, I don't think that's the way the church is supposed to be. So over time I, I started bringing that to my bishop and, and saying, Hey, I think we're supposed to have scissors and we don't. And I think we're asleep at the wheel. I'm trying to figure out how to help young women discern because these women haven't even seen the sister inhabits. Are they supposed to know what on earth it would be to, to be consecrated to God? So over the years, he and I, uh, he received a lot of my complaining about the things the church wasn't doing and things that we were missing and, and ways that we just kind of failed to support religious life in the past enough. And, and also that I think we, like I said, fell asleep at the wheel. We forgot that the priests take care of the guys and historically the, the religious take care of the, of the young women discerning. And, and when they're not here, no one's taking care of the young women. So I've spent the last three years working, yeah, just on helping to build up a culture of vocations among among young women who are open and, and just trying to introduce them to sisters and bring sisters around them because there's just something so enriching about a woman who's living out her femininity in a consecrated form. And it really does, it trickles down to the whole church. I just think it shows, it shows marriage, 
what it's like to live out, you know, the love of Christ that's meant to be given through that sacrament that shows the priesthood, um, who, who the bride is, and the Church is supposed to be our bride as priests, but that's very inconcrete, and so when you see it in a religious woman, you start to understand a little bit about your vocation, your own priestly heart, and, and it helps women in particular, because they're vividly living out femininity in a culture that's like so confused about who woman is and what woman's supposed to do. I mean, here's these groups of women that are walking around literally every day in their in their bridal garb. They're wearing a, a dress and a veil for the whole world to see. And it's like, I just have this deep conviction that if we had that in an ordered, healthy fashion, the way we're supposed to in every church, in every parish, all throughout the world, really, I think we'd have a lot less problems in the church, but also just in the world. So, yeah, full-time now, this is my work. I started an apostolate called Friends of the Bridegroom, and we just work to build up locally in Milwaukee and then across the country vocational support while also doing a lot of healing work with communities of women religious, helping them on their healing journey to go deeper into forgiveness, deeper into living out their vocations so that they can expand, so that they can grow um, in a fashion that, that is ordered and is healthy. So it's a it's a hidden work in that, like, nothing—I I think I'm the only priest in the country, a diocesan priest at least, who's assigned to something like this. We're building from the ground up, and it's amazing to, to run around doing these events and, and just see how much people love religious and are sad that they don't have them everywhere in the Church, and they're like, what can we do? Like, how can we help? So I feel like I'm sitting in a, in a place of great urgency, but also great desire in the Church, and it's just a real privilege to, to uphold these holy women and then to help make sure that we don't have to imagine a future without women religious. We can rather imagine a future in which we have back something that we should have had the whole time, which is the presence of the consecrated bride. What kind of fruits are you seeing, Father? Are you seeing, you know, how, what's the Lord doing with this? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, so on the healing side, we're, we're walking with a lot of communities that are um, just you know, communities that you would know, the ones that are kind of famous and growing, and just really helping them kind of come into their own hearts and like really stand with Jesus and receive His healing grace. And so in the communities across the country, in these growing communities, they are all um, really open to going deeper into the healing journey and deeper into this, this movement of fidelity and, and expansion. So on that side of things, which is very hidden work, um, with I partner with the John Paul II Healing Center, Sister Miriam James and Kim Glass, and I go out and do these retreats, and, and they're just so powerful. They're so powerful. So they're hidden away in the convents. There's this deep movement of integration um, and, and a deepened awareness of the, the bridal calling, the spousal meaning of that life, and a willingness to live that in the world. On the vocation side, it's amazing um, to see that so many women who have never really been around sisters are still praying deeply, and in that depth of prayer, many of them feel called to a life they've never really encountered, at least not tangibly or concretely. So there I see a real sign of the Holy Spirit who's like, I'm not letting go of religious life, even though it's diminished significantly. The Lord's like, we can't have a church without this. We shouldn't be trying. So there's this beautiful movement in the hearts of young women, high school and college, and then where we're able to give support to them, and in Milwaukee we've been doing a lot of this, but a lot of vocation directors around the country are also being um, pretty attentive to this issue. We're seeing uh, a lot of amazing fruits. I mean, we in Milwaukee have sent uh, at least two, three women each year, sometimes more than that, into different religious communities around the country. Um, sorrowfully, because we don't have as many sisters as we should, that often means you're sending these women out of your diocese to a community. But um, once you've sent enough, 
to a community, the community says, man, there's something going on there in that local church. Let's send sisters back. And so watching that happen and really through that, getting a read across the country on places of real life and, and where families are open and churches and pastors and parishes are really open to cultivating this, this type of generosity. Once people see it or, or, or start to pray with it, the Holy Spirit takes over. Um, we just hosted an event the other night. The Nashville Dominicans were in town. And yeah, a group of parents said, could you just teach us a little bit about how to support vocations in our families? And we're like, yeah, sure. So they just put together a little flyer up at the Chesterton Academy. And we had like almost 100 people. There were like 97 parents came out to just hear about how to cultivate vocations. And I'm like, I was moved. I looked at them. I'm like, you guys, you're all here because you're basically saying you're willing to let your children go to a life that you didn't plan on and to a life that means they might not be near you and you're not going to have grandchildren. Like that's a, it's a big risk. That's a pretty scary thought. And I'm amazed that you're so open. So little things like that. Um, you can just see the spirit of God moving uh, and, and really convicting. I think all of us who open our hearts to this mission, convicting us that like we, we need sisters. We need the bride. Uh, we need spiritual mothers. We've got good priests. We need more, but we've got spiritual fathers. We don't have spiritual mothers in our local churches, and that that's a poverty that we can all feel. And once we get language for that, then all of a sudden, man, there's a movement in the church here for the renewal of one's religious life, because it renews all of us. And I feel like I'm sitting yeah, right in the middle of that and just rejoicing in God's movements. It's such beautiful work. I know you recently did a fabulous video on YouTube called A Problem and a Paradigm, Renew Religious. And I would encourage our listeners to Google that and listen to it. But you shared a little story about some wolves and um, in the uh, National Park. Can you share that quick little story? I thought it was a great analogy for people to grasp. Yeah, thanks. I love that. It's, it's in theology, nature and supernature are connected. Um, supernature, grace, is like the development and perfection of what's happening in nature. So I was looking at the church and like noticing that it's not just that we don't have the same kind of teachers and parish ministers we're used to, like we're missing something more than just the presence of workers that sisters were, we're missing like something that, that really hurts us. And I was trying to find images for it in language for it. I was talking to a priest. He goes, Oh, you're, you're talking about the thing in Yellowstone. I'm like, oh, what's the thing in Yellowstone? So I went and looked it up and it's, it's this thing in, in natural ecosystems theory called trophic cascades. And briefly what happened was in the 1920s and 1930s, the ranchers around Yellowstone National Park hunted out all the wolves. They got rid of them because they were taking out their cattle. <clears throat> and the park kind of shifted in the absence of the wolves without anyone really thinking about it until back in the 1990s when a group of conservationists were like, look, if we want this to look the way it's supposed to according to nature, we're missing something really important, which is the wolves. And so they worked to reintroduce the wolves. They met a bunch of opposition, but eventually succeeded in bringing them back. And what happened was amazing. As the wolves came back into the park, they just brought a small pack of wolves in at first. As they came back into the park, they started to hunt the elk that were living on the floodplains along the river. And so the elk moved off the floodplains. You know, they were there for decades because it's water and grass, you know, right in proximity. So the wolves hunt them, they move up into the hills and out into the forests. And what that, what that caused was a regeneration of these floodplains that had usually been grazing grounds. And this wildflower population sprung up, which brought back songbirds and the new ground cover increased the population of mice and rodents, rats and squirrels. And that brought back more foxes. But, but along with that, um, <clears throat> the, the trees, the aspen and poplars that grow along the riverbank, these had also been grazed to the ground. And when the elk stopped grazing them, they put down deep roots and they grew up into trees. And that fortified the riverbanks that used to erode every spring, especially during rainy season or during floods. 
And, and as the fortified riverbanks didn't allow the same flooding, the river started to intensify. Beavers came back to this part of the park that had been gone since the wolves left. Ecosystems theoreticians aren't really sure why that happened, but the beavers coming back up the river harvested these new trees, built new beaver dams, and all at once, the, the, the course of the rivers in Yellowstone National Park started to change because of the fortified riverbanks and the new beaver dams. And these, these ecosystems theorists look at that and they're like, well, this is an amazing thing. It's just called a trophic cascade because at the very top, something important was taken out, the wolves, and the whole thing was affected. When you bring the wolves back, you replace them, the whole thing is affected again. So I've been using that as like a simple natural image to be like, in the church, we're kind of like the park, like something not accidental and not, something not minor, something very important and, and even essential to the flourishing of the church began to disappear. And as sisters disappeared, we started to adjust the way we do things and kind of concluded this is the new normal. But, but like the park, the new normal actually doesn't really reflect the way it's supposed to, and it doesn't really reflect the healthy, ordered, integral body of Christ, because there have always been consecrated women alongside the consecrated men and alongside the families. So the premise of the whole apostolate, Friends of the Bridegroom, is just that if we, if we bring the sisters back, and there's a cause a lot of shifting, but it's going to be a shift that moves us toward health and, and toward flowering and toward vitality and toward life. And uh, yeah. Look it up. It's pretty fun to study um, traffic cascades and ecosystems theory, but it's driven, it's driven my whole passion to say we got to fight for this, we got to uphold this, and we got to we got to bring back, bring back the wolves, bring back women religious in the church. That's awesome. Now I saw on the website you're looking for people to help join in the movement. So how can people help in this? Um, in this, is it prayer or how can they help you? Yeah, thanks for asking that too. I mean, the website just renewreligious.org. And we're basically just looking to, to start a movement in the church whereby we mobilize everybody who cares and who wants to get kind of righteously upset about this and say, well, now let's do something about it. So at the fundamental level, I mean, you can sign up in there for communications, but we're talking about giving frameworks of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, just giving everybody uh, simple things <clears throat> to say, this is, it's not, it's not just that I'm upset that sisters are gone or that we lost them or that we didn't do more about it back when they started to diminish. I am upset about that, but I'm also doing something about it uh, because I can. You know, I can pray, I can fast, I can give alms. And then along with that, we're, we're developing resources for parishes and for dioceses to build up a culture of vocational discernment among young women in the absence of sisters. Um, and that's a forthcoming project. Um, we just opened up a house of, of prayer here in Milwaukee where we're hosting all these different events. Um, so locally, there's needs for tons of help here in Milwaukee, but... What we're looking to do with that is scale that up and make it a model that any diocese could use. Um, and so along the way, we're just going to need people in, in different dioceses who are fired up and are like, hey, I, I want to make sure we don't lose sisters, too. What can I do? We just want to build that network of people, connect them, get them, get them fired up, give some formation, and say, look, this is, this is a concern for all of us. It's not just the, the, the convents and the sisters who are, need to be concerned for themselves. The Church needs to be concerned. So it's basically trying to awaken a self-awareness and a, a movement within that to say, it's going to take all of us, um, so let's do this. So yeah, renewreligious.org is, is the name of the website, but also part of the movement um, under Friends of the Bridegroom to, to help the Church be renewed through the renewal of women's religious life. Well, what a gift to hear this exciting, all these different endeavors that you're involved in, Father. And, you know, I think as we prepare for the 2024 Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, you know, we just want to know, like, what's your what's your little insight to what you're going to be talking about? Could you give us a sneak peek on your talk? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's still growing in my heart. 
um, but but what's been as I pray for all of you, especially there locally, I've been I've just been pondering what woman and f- what womanhood is, what femininity is, and how when that's lived really well in a, in a fashion that represents God's plan, how restorative that is, and when it's lived um, outside of the plan of God or in a fashion that's not ordered to providence, how confusing it is, and and obviously we're seeing that in our culture, but I. I, I've been sitting especially with Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, looking at patterns of their own hearts and their relationship before the fall and saying, look, there's something really important there, especially about the woman, what she brings to the man, how she, she resolves this tension in the, in the whole order of creation. God knows and the man knows something's missing. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so God makes a suitable helpmate. Um, one who completes something that was was incomplete and, and brings rest to something that was restless, and those those capacities of woman to to bring rest, to bring resolution to tension, but also to to call forth the other. I mean, she calls forth in Adam this this creativity, this love, this capacity to generate all things he didn't really know he had within him as as capabilities until he met her. Those are all those are all innate to woman before the fall. And those are things that come under assault because the enemy, the enemy hates woman. I mean, the, the, the curse even that we read about in Genesis 3, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, that the serpent, that's the serpent, that's the curse of all the serpent, the serpent and the woman are, are at war. And so woman femininity has been under assault since the beginning, um, which, which tells us, I mean, the enemy doesn't attack things that don't matter. He attacks things that do matter, that he sees as threatening. And so when woman suffers so much, it's a sign that, that when, she, when she perseveres in that, Something really powerful is at hand. Something really important is at hand, and and the enemy is going to use everything he's got to obscure that. But getting back to what that is, and then raising that up in this generation, is going to just extend um, locally and even nationally and throughout the church. It's going to extend what was happening in the heart of the first woman. This power to again bring bring peace, bring resolution to tension, to call forth love, to call forth beauty, and to to help the garden the Garden of Eden, but also the Garden of the Church to flourish and to flower. So these are all themes that I've been sitting with and, and really unpacking and studying prayer for quite a while. And, and I just, I'd like to uh, call forth the women of Columbus and the area who come to the conference just to see, like, this is what this is what theology sees in you. This is what we see in you. This is what we men need from you um, and need you to be confident in, because when you live in confidence, like, it's it's captivating. It calls us to a higher level and we need to be called to a higher level instead of just being uh, invited to stay where we are or just to, to settle. Like, we can't settle anymore. We've got to go. And, and there's something about the woman who gives, who gives us a bit of that where do we go, but also gives us something to fight for. And, and we need that today, perhaps more than ever. So, so those are kind of the themes that are swirling around. But uh, we've got a few months, and so the talk itself isn't, isn't totally written yet. So I'm going to sit with the Holy Spirit on it, too, and see what, what the Lord wants to bring. Well, we cannot wait to have you here in Columbus, February 17th, 2024. Get your tickets. And we are going to close here today. So we'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us on Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference and to register, visit ColumbusCatholicWomen.com. And to hear more about Emily and my work, be sure to check out InspireTheFaith.com. <laughs>